In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing responding to child abuse. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today, we're going to be discussing the article, Stop the Grinch. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible. This one is 2 Samuel 13, verse 22, and it reads like this, And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, neither good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Great verse for us today because what we're going to be discussing, um, despite the the fun-loving reference to the Grinch, is something that's very serious. This is abuse, abuse against children. And we as safety team members have to be proactive in mitigating how, how frequently this occurs. We have to stand in the gap. You know, one of the things that I often think about is just how um, a lot of us, to include myself, we often think of ourselves in terms of the hero, the person who's going to stand up when a violent intruder comes, and we're going to take definitive action and save lots of lives. And that's good. That's great, especially if you're going so far as to train and mentally rehearse for different types of situations. That can be extremely good. Um, But what we don't think about is there's another type of victim out there, that child, that could be getting abused in the church or outside the church, and we're in a position to help them. We can be their hero in a very real way. Um, Before I continue on, I just want to remind you to share this with your team, with your staff, with other volunteers, so they can also start to think more about these. You know, a lot of us, you know, we're... We're thinking about them, but we need reminders. We need encouragement. We need um, practical steps, which I try to give you, in how to mitigate this. So let's begin in the news. The first one here is um, uh, Bisbee, Arizona, uh, 2010 to 2017. A man being counseled by a lead pastor of his congregation confessed that he had been molesting his five-year-old daughter. The pastor helped, um, called the helpline of his denomination for advice on reporting this to law enforcement. Since Arizona law did not um, allow priests to not report confessions of sexual abuse, the person on the helpline said the pastor should not report. The same thing happened to the next pastor. The abuse continued for another seven years. Um, the man's uh, um, abuse of his children... Um, finally came to uh, the attention of law enforcement through videos he had made on the sexual abuse. This was reported by somebody in another country who contacted U.S. authorities after seeing some of his videos online. This is, this is, a, common, this is a common problem, I think, is pastors are in a position where they can have con- um, confidential uh, conversations with people. And this is good. However, if there's, if there's fear of an ongoing crime or ongoing abuse or they're telling you that they're going to do something bad, then I think there, in a lot of states, it's a legal obligation, um, but I think there's a moral obligation, 
right? I mean, if somebody tells you, Pastor, that I'm going to go home and kill my wife, I'm hoping you're calling the police. Same thing applies to if they're going to go home and they're going to molest their kids. Or you know from talking to them and they've confessed to you about molesting their kids, and you know they're not healed, you know they're not recovered, you can, there's, you can believe that this is still going to be ongoing. Or even though they're strong today, are they going to be strong tomorrow in resisting that temptation? We don't know. And we're talking about another soul. It's not just the person that's sitting on the other side of your desk. It's the persons out there, their spouses, their friends, their family, their own children that need your, you to stand up and help them. All right. Next story, Rancho Cucamonga and Riverside, California, uh, July 22 and 23rd, 2021. A pastor of the Rancho Cucamonga and a youth leader of Riverside, both in their 60s, were arrested for sexual abuse of minors. In both cases, the incidents were years before. A girl, age 14, told the Ranchero Cucamonga police that the pastor had sexually abused her from 2010 to 2015, beginning when she was younger than 10 years old. News stories did not disclose how the Riverside Youth Leader was reported, so the source may have been anonymous or confidential. Police believe that there are other victims. So once again, nobody is above reproach, right? We have to, as sheepdogs, we have to... Uh, trust but verify. You know, we have to have that critical eye towards our pastor and our youth leaders and anyone that works with children. We have to have that watchful eye of how adults, other adults, interact with our children. And we also need to be paying attention to the children. Because like we cover in our training, there are signs and symptoms that you can be watching for in victims. And when you see those then you can start taking some sort of action. That doesn't necessarily mean calling the police right away, but that could be talking to other leaders and uh, that work with that child and say, hey, what have you seen? You know, what's going on? Or we need to keep our eyes on this and see what, you know, keep watching this child and seeing if there's other uh, reason to believe that this child could be being abused. And then if we suspect it well enough, we need to be calling, you know, either child protection protective services or the police or uh, the county's health and human services. You know, they all have their own special names, but finding out and making that report. All right, next one, Northeast Baltimore, Maryland, October 2013. An adult male tipped the police that he had been sexually abused by a youth leader in Baltimore Church for 16 years. They arrested the suspect who had held several positions in that church, including the time of the abuse. The victim, who was a teen at the time, had been a member of the church. Just another story. There's lots of them out there. And sometimes they come to light many, many years later. And that's one of the things we have to think about. You know, we don't know. We really don't know right now if there are children at your church that are being abused. And you may do your time as a sheepdog at your church and then decades later find out that you were in charge when it occurred. And so, and then of course your brain's going to go back and say, oh yeah, I remember this, I remember that, or I had this suspicion, or I had that suspicion. 
You don't want that on your conscience. So I would basically say this, do your job today so you don't regret it later down the road. All right, last news story, Jacksonville, Florida, March 9th, 2022. Police raided a Wednesday night church service and arrested a pastor and two former pastors. Each was charged with sexual abuse of a minor. All offenses were decades earlier, once again, decades earlier. The reporting victim said she had been abused by the pastor 20 to 30 times. The sheriff's office had been received the complaint in 2003, but at the time of the news story, there was no reason given for the 19-year... Okay, so who knows what happened there? I don't know how she makes a complaint in 2003, and evidence or an arrest isn't made until 2022. That's pretty crazy. Um, but, you know, these things happen. At least the arrest did occur, and hopefully this poor girl is getting the type of help that she needs, and these pastors are getting justice um, done to them if they are, in fact, guilty of this. All right. So what it really comes down to is this, is I'm going to focus mostly on reporting, okay? And I kind of already hinted at that and made some comments to the news story. But um, I want to talk about some of the things where why people don't report, why churches choose not to report. And the first one is an attitude of self-sufficiency. This happens both with the leaders of our church, pastors, and also happens with denominations across the board and people in it, maybe even the safety team, is we feel like we can handle it. All right, we get this report. We can we can call the right, you know, or we, you know, we can we can just handle it in house, and this is going to be fine. We're going to make sure that the vic the the victim is being taken care of. We're going to make sure that we lead that uh, predator into reconciliation and recovery from you know their temptation and their sin. But the truth of the matter is this: is a lot of churches are not at all prepared for this kind of thing. And we have to learn to, with humility, at times say, hey, listen, I don't know the answer. I don't know how to fix this. Or at least, this is not my area of expertise. You know, we, we don't know. And so we need to call in people that are better than us, more better equipped than us, experienced, and know how to handle these kind of things in a proper way. And we just have to get out of the way sometimes, get out of our, our way of ourselves and of that victim and allow police to handle it, investigators to handle it, that kind of stuff. We just, you know, I think about, you know, we, can we all accept that you can know a lot about one thing in the case of a pastor or lots about theology, lots about the Bible or whatever, but not know anything else, not be an expert in anything else. It's kind of like, you know, you have a surgeon. A surgeon's great for surgery, but probably has no business working on your car. Where a mechanic has all the business in the world of working on your car, but you wouldn't want them to give you surgery. And so that's the same thing we have to understand is we have limitations. There's only so much we can know, and at times we need to pass it on. we got to get rid of this self-sufficiency. I can handle it. I can do it. I don't need any help. That's a really bad attitude. And in the case of abuse of a child, it's a recipe for disaster. All right, next thing is ignorance about reporting mandates. This, this is something that a lot of us still struggle with because laws 
that are being written across the country are can be a little bit confusing. Uh, most of them are going in the direction that says if there's a crime being committed or you believe that a crime is going to be committed, um, then you absolutely have to report it. And that's going not to just the pastors and leaders of the church, but that's trickling down more and more into even volunteers that work with children. So that means, you know, that new volunteer you have in there, it's part of their training has to be about mandated reporting, that if they suspect a child is being abused, they have to report that. Now they can contact you if you're the safety director, and hopefully you're saying, we need to report this when we need to report it now. We need to take real action now. So you could theoretically still be in a jurisdiction where the mandatory reporting does not trickle down to that volunteer. But the thing is, is this, isn't it morally the right thing to do? I mean, we're talking about potential child being abused on a regular basis. Shouldn't we report that? Shouldn't we stand in the gap of that kid? Shouldn't we take real action to help them? I'm hoping you're hearing in your head, yes, 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 we need to do something. So regardless of what the laws are. Uh, the next thing, of course, and we've heard a lot about this, is protecting the church's image, their public image. And, um, you know, it always backfires, doesn't it? You know, we try to shuffle something under the carpet, but it comes out. You know, I, I've been in churches for a long time. And, um, and even though you think you've covered something up, there's still these rumors. And these rumors spread throughout the church. And ultimately, the vast majority of people do know about what, what happened. And so we're just kidding ourselves when we think we can hide something and it's not going to spread. It's going to spread. And in something like this, sooner or later, it's going to spread outside the doors. And it's going to be in the community. And then it's an embarrassment more than if just saying, hey, we have a problem and we're working to fix it and we're helping the victim and, you know, the, the, the predator is going to face justice and all that kind of stuff. That can be embarrassing. That can be... Um, whatever, uncomfortable. But if it comes out later and it's like the church tried to hide it, I mean, you might as well put a for sale sign in front of the building because you're done. In today's media, in today's social media, and all that kind of stuff, community talking, all that stuff, news, you're, you're going to be done anyway. And so expose things to the light. That's how we fix it. That's the only way to fix it, is to bring these things to light and handle it head on. And this is where the bravery of a sheepdog really comes in. You know, in some ways, and, and this is probably more of Hollywood, in some ways, facing a violent intruder is very easy for us to think about, hey, we would do this and do that, and we've trained and we have this plan, and we go to the range a lot, and we've really developed that skill set, and we feel very confident or, you know, that if there's a violent intruder, we're going to be able to handle it. But then when we, and that's, of course, facing somebody who's trying to kill people. But now we have something like this, a guy who, or, you know, I say guy, it could be a woman too. We have somebody who's molesting a child, and suddenly we're the biggest cowards on the planet. And we don't have the courage to call the police. We don't have the courage to contact the county Child Protection Services. 
where's that courage? Where is the courage to do the right thing? I would say, and this is, you know, maybe I'm, maybe there's a little bit hyperbole here, but there's something about the lack of courage in churches today that's very disturbing to me. It's very disturbing to me. I think there's a lot of posturing. I think there's a lot of talk, but I don't see a lot of do, especially in this topic. And so we need to start doing and being aggressive and protecting these poor little sheep. We need to show some courage, and I hope that you have that courage and you're prepared to take action. I was talking to a gentleman not too long ago. He was very uncomfortable with the whole process and stuff like that. And the reason he was struggling, I think, to, to some extent, was the fact that he didn't make a, a pre-decision of what action he was going to take, right? Because that's what we do with active shooters, right? We make decisions. If they come in this door, we're going to respond in this way. It's a pre-decision. It's training, but it's a decision. This is how I'm going to handle it. If I'm faced with a bad guy face-to-face and he's got a weapon and he's harming people, I'm going to take whatever action I need to take. We're making pre-decisions. But what we need to do with this is also make a pre-decision. That, hey, we're going to be aggressive in defending our kids. Can We need to make that decision today. And we need to think about what that definitive action would be, right? Active shooter, it might be using deadly force. Um, in child protection or child abuse, it's about calling the police. It's about contacting the county. It's about talking to the leadership. It's about being aggressive in all areas as quickly as we possibly can. Um, I've responded in my time in law enforcement to many child abuse situations. And so the, the state pre-decided for me to some extent, certainly my training did too. But in the end, you know, when I started in church security then, I had already made the decision that what I would do. I had a conversation, it was kind of, it was kind of tongue in cheek, but it was kind of uh, real too. And that was my pastor basically posed a question Something similar like, what would you do if it was somebody of authority, even myself? And I said, Pastor, if I found out you did something like that, I would burn you down. I would burn you down. And what I mean by that is I would call police. I would. It wouldn't matter that he was my friend. It wouldn't matter that he had been a spiritual leader for me for like 15 years or better. I mean, it doesn't matter. I would burn him down. And that's that's kind of what you need to, the attitude I think you kind of need. Once again, I'm not talking about actually burning somebody. I'm just saying, it's like, listen, I don't care who you are. You could be my best friend from high school. You could be my pastor since I was a child. You could be whatever. I'm taking you down. I'm going to call the police on you. I would call, contact the county. I would do whatever it takes to make sure that justice was served and an investigation was completed. So, Anyway, I know it's a pretty heavy topic, a very uncomfortable topic at times, but it's something that we have to think about. It's a predecision we need to make as, law, as well as having an action plan when we are told about something. Other than that, I just want to encourage you guys before I go. Um, great training going on right now. We're uh, kind of in the middle of the second quarter. We still have uh, two and a half quarters to go for this year. And then we take the summer off and start all over again. But we talk about child protection and active shooters and verbal de-escalation 
and mass trauma events. I mean, we cover a lot of topics that can be very helpful for you and your team to get that foundational information you need um, to most effectively protect your congregations. Other than that, if you like this video, please comment, share, um, all that good stuff because it helps the Google and YouTube. YouTube's now owned by Google, I'm pretty sure. It lets them know that this is something worthy to be shared and a lot of you are engaging. Thank you so much for doing that. Other than that, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.